Hey everybody, welcome to this audio-only, very special episode of The Wonder Soul Show. I know it's been a few weeks since you guys heard from me. We held the Wonder Soul Festival in Austin, Texas, which was a massive success and a really incredible building block for the future of this community, the future of all of our dreams coming to fruition. And I have a very special guest for you today on the show. It's his first repeat experience on the show and I have been attempting to schedule this episode for I think the last year because of how impactful the first episode with Shannon Graham was. He is the only coach that I'm aware of on planet earth um, that is available for people to have a three-year one million dollar commitment for coaching and the most extraordinary thing about that offering that I've heard from him is that he will only work with people if they can essentially affect the GDP of an entire country or greater. And that is just a massive, massive proposal and vantage point to be looking at the way he wants to impact the world from. And this episode is for every single human to listen to because it goes so far beyond those extremely high achievers that we just referenced there. And it goes into the high achieving version of all of us, whether that's in your family, friendship, your health, your career, your investments, or anything that you love and are obsessed with improving. And we cover the whole gamut of inspiration. And I guarantee you're going to want to listen to this episode on repeat again and again and again in any time that you feel like you just want that boost of inspiration, that boost of vitality and excitement in your life. So please enjoy. You started coaching people when you were 21 years old, yeah. professionally, yeah. like paying. Yeah. How did that happen? Uh, well, it kind of happened by necessity. Um, I was living in New York City and just due to kind of a series of events, I was actually homeless for about a week and a half in New York. And, uh, you know, trying to like get a job and everything like that was just taking too long. And I needed money. Why were you in New York City? I was living there. Okay. For, um, for what purpose? For work. Okay, um, so I was, you, you moved there for work. Yeah, I moved there from Vermont um, for work. And then you didn't get work. And then I had some work and then it fell through. Okay. Um, and so I, I just kind of was in this space of like, man, I got to make some money fast. And I was racking my brain of like, what, are, what do I know how to do that's valuable? And Craigslist was really powerful back then and you know i had a i have a background in a lot of different stuff um so i i kind of created a few side hustles at, that, at 21 years old you had a background in a lot of different stuff yeah um that's interesting not work wise but just life wise like i played soccer for five years and so you could coach soccer yeah and okay i you know i had some of my writing published and things like that in high school what type of writing? Uh, mostly poetry. Yeah, I know. Um, so I could help people with with creative writing and stuff like that. So I I had some 
value, but you know, those are gigs that, I mean, what's the most someone's going to pay you per hour for that kind of thing? Not a lot. So I did that. I made a little bit of money and was like, man, it's just, it's not quite adding up, you know? And, um, I was like, I, I, what do I, what do I have? What, what do I know that's more valuable? And it was funny cause it was like sitting in front of my face the whole time because I was being positive about my situation. I was working on creating solutions. I was, you know, doing all these things that many people in that situation just would, they wouldn't do. And I was like, oh, right. I've been through this like crazy personal transformation. Um, I got exposed to some really powerful self-improvement technologies when I was young and just took them and ran with them. And they made a huge difference. And I was like, oh, right. It kind of dawned on me, you know, like that's probably valuable for other people too. And so I, I'll, I'll never forget, I walked the next morning to the library so that I could use the internet and I created this ad. I would pay about any amount of money if someone could find that ad <laughs> because the copy, I would love to see it. It was like one big chunk paragraph. And it was basically like, hey, um, I can help you take your life to the next level. Um, you know, call me. And it was... But it was beautifully written. It was... I studied copy. I mean, you were a poet. I, I studied copy. I studied language. I studied writing. So it was written well. Although, like, you know, I, it's pro it would... It would you and I would both probably get a good laugh out of, uh, you know, seeing it these days. So I put it out there. And later that day, I got a call. And for the record, if you hear a little gremlin in the background or tapping, it is the most adorable French bulldog named Frankie that's hanging out with us. Please continue. Little Franksters. Um... So I got this call and um, it was a guy who had seen the ad and he was interested in doing some work together. Um, well, well, he was, he was interested in a consultation. Um, so we set up a, a time to meet at Starbucks. Um, Classic. And, yeah. Didn't have an office, didn't have anything. Met him at a Starbucks. Uh, and I, I, luckily I was working in the fashion industry. So I had some clothes that at least as Frank Kern would say, gave me the illusion of legitimacy, but I was 21. You know, when I was 21, I think I weighed maybe 135 pounds soaking wet. And I did not, my face did not look like the way that it does now. So at 21, I looked like I was in my teens for sure. And so this guy right on the button walks through the door and, uh, you know, he's just this hardened Wall Street guy and you could just see it. You know, New York people are skeptical for good reason. There's a lot of people, there's a lot of hustlers and a lot of, you know, all that going on. And so he, he walks in the door and he's looking around for who he thinks should be me. And he's probably looking for someone who's much older than me. 
And he's looking around and he's looking around and he doesn't see who he thinks is me. And I'm standing right there. And he turns around and he starts to walk out the door. And his name was John. And so I said, John. And he turns around and he looks at me and he looks me up and down. And he goes, Shannon? And I said, yeah. And he looks me up and down and again. And he goes, you're just a kid. He said, what the hell are you going to teach me about life? And he turns around and he starts to walk out the door again. And I was like, oh, man. And I grabbed his shoulder and I spun him around. And I said, look, you agreed to come here for an hour. Sit down. Let me buy you a cup of coffee with the last couple bucks to my name. Oof. Literally. You agreed to be here for an hour. Sit down for 30 minutes. And, it, and I'll watch the clock. And at the end of that 30 minutes, if you don't like what I have to say, the worst that came out of it is I bought you a cup of coffee. Is that fair? And he goes, he sits down. I'll never forget. He sits down, crosses his arms, and he looks at me and he goes, all right, kid, you got 30 minutes. And I was like, oh, man. I remember thinking to myself, don't try to sell this guy anything. Just help him. Because you could see in his eyes that he needed the help. He wanted the help. He was there for that reason. But he was skeptical, as he should have been. 21-year-old kid, you know? So I did my absolute best to just listen to him and ask him questions and tune into his heart and really hear what was going on there. And, and be helpful to him. And, and I'm trying to be respectful. So I'm looking at the clock going, okay, John, we've reached 30 minutes. I want to be respectful. If this isn't valuable to you, you're free to go. Before I even finish saying that sentence, he cuts me off and says, no, no, kid, this is great. And he reaches back to the counter, grabs a napkin, pulls a pen out of his pocket, slams the napkin down and goes, I'm taking notes. So his physiology goes from this to leaning in, taking notes. And I was like, so we go another 30 minutes. But the, you know, at some point, you, you must transition into a transaction. You have to. And I was like coming up to the end of the call or the end of the meeting, like, okay, this is the moment where if you are going to sell, you got to do it. And so he goes, okay, well, you know, this sounds really great. Like how do, you know, what does this look like? I had never done this before in my life. I had, had you planned this at all? No, <laughs> no. I mapped this out on an invisible hard whiteboard in a, in a, in an alleyway the evening before. Oh God. So I had no idea. I had no, no clue. So, but I knew that I needed money. And I knew that, I also knew that that moment was also a growth opportunity for myself. Because I didn't want to just take what I knew I could get. I wanted to, I wanted to receive what I felt like I was really worth, even though I had never done it before. Because I'm very clear that just because you've never done something before doesn't mean that you can't. So, he, so I said, well, we'll start with a month. 
and we'll meet once a week for an hour. And he said, okay, cool. Sounds great. How much? And I was frozen. And I remember thinking to myself in matrix time, you're stalling. Don't stall because you're going to, you just built all this trust up with this guy. It, I, I actually had Tony Robbins voice in my head. It doesn't matter what you say, just say it. And I'll never forget to this day, I don't know why I did this, but it was like me, not overcompensating, but really like getting into the identity of someone that was certain. I'll never forget, I took my hand and I went like this. And I locked him right in the eyes and I said, a hundred. I didn't qualify it. So what does that mean? A hundred for the month? You know, and at that point, I felt like I was a little bit stuck because it was like, well, if he had said, oh, 100 for the month. Yeah, that sounds pretty, that sounds decent. I didn't have the guts to be like, oh, no, I meant 100 a week. Like I was all, that's all I could do. And he goes like this. He, he, he puts his eyes up to the top of his head like he's calculating. And I knew that's what he was doing. And he goes, well, it's a little more than what I expected, but you know what? I think it's going to be worth it. And without saying another word, he grabs my shoulder and he picks me up and he pulls me outside. And I was like, oh, I've heard this story before. Uh, I'm going to wake up in a bathtub with a cell phone, you know. Uh, and he pulls me around the corner to the ATM. And before I could even make sense of what was happening, but he pulls out $400. So what that meant to him was it's 100 an hour. It's 400 for the month. And he crams the money in my hand and then says, this was really great, coach. I'll see you next week. And before I could even say anything, he just scuttles across the street and heads down the subway and he was gone. And I'm standing there with a fistful of money. And I was blown away. That moment changed my life forever in so many different ways. If you were to give me the bullet points of how you went from helping a random New Yorker off Craigslist in a Starbucks for $100 a session to building a program like Second Summit, where it's a million dollars for a three-year? Is it a three-year commitment? Yeah. It's a three-year commitment. What the hell happened yeah. in between now and then that got you to this point? And, and we could talk about astronaut and stuff too and just yeah. these, this level yeah. of stuff. I mean, obviously at 21 to be randomly signing people for $100 a session to give them advice is yeah. wild to me. Yeah. Well, you know, it really comes down to my desire to continuously make a bigger impact. And I believe that the size of the problems that you solve is in direct relation to the amount that you can be compensated for that. So uh, I'm also a firm believer in constantly improving myself. So if, if I am the lead source of the value of when someone works in my world, which I am, then that means the 
highest amount of value that they can get is in direct correlation to the amount of value that I can bring to the table. Okay. Well, so let me, let me break that down yeah. because I feel like I've, I've heard about this so much that it really makes a lot of sense, but I really want to uh, paint this picture yeah. for the audience. Yeah. And this ties exactly into why I was so excited to do a second episode with you because yeah. of what you said on the first episode. So let me lay that context, that sure. groundwork, and then paint the picture of what you just said in yeah. my words and, yeah. and go back and forth and yeah, really yeah, make yeah. that clear. Cool. What you said in the first episode, which I believe is episode number 13 mm-hmm. of this show, way back, I think in 2020 maybe, yeah. we did that episode. And you said the whole episode was themed around courage, mm-hmm. which... Now at noon, every single day of my life since then, I've had a calendar notification that just says courage. And it's because you said, if we are attempting to solve problems in the world that people already have answers to, it's not big enough and you won't be compensated as well. If you choose to solve problems that no one has ever solved, the level of reward will be far greater, exponentially greater, untold amounts greater. And ever since then, similar to maybe what happened with you from that Starbucks until now, Mm -hmm. is saying, how could I continuously evolve what I'm trying to solve for myself and for humanity to bigger and bigger perspectives to get to the point where I am today after especially this retreat this weekend. So that was what you said to me back in that episode that Mm -hmm. that really kind of, Hit you. Threw down the gauntlet, yeah. if you will, yeah. where I looked at my life and said, okay, what am I currently doing for mm-hmm. people? What am I doing for the world? And a lot of those things already existed. Maybe I did them differently. Yeah. Or maybe I did them maybe better in some ways. And I had these incremental improvements, sure. you know, even if it was a 2X or a 3X improvement, it yeah. was still a, a countable yeah. improvement. Measurable, yeah. Measurable, right? And what I took from that is I needed to become an immeasurable yeah. improvement yeah. on something yeah. or to just tackle something that was unsolved. Completely new and different, yeah. 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 And, you know, astronaut is obviously another example of that, mm-hmm. a huge one. And so that was the big takeaway from the first episode. And yeah. then what you just said here was also really special mm-hmm. for people. And that was another note that you also sort of said in other words in that first episode that yeah. was incredibly beautiful. Mm. So say that part again one more time and let's wax that. Yeah. Well, it really comes down to that the amount uh, of money that you can receive is in direct correlation to the size of the challenges you can solve. Yes. So I gave this example in a recent episode with Paul Hoffman Uh of a janitor. Yeah. If you're a janitor and you go and you clean a school you will make a certain salary from that. Yeah. If you are a janitor and you're cleaning that school and you get the idea that maybe there could be a better mop and you design this better mop, you are no longer cleaning a school. You are providing better mops for every janitor yeah. in whatever market, however big you can make it. Yeah. Right. And depending on how much better that mop is, mm-hmm. you'll get rewarded for that. That's you right. know, there's a lot more factors in there, supply chain. You're going to have to learn a lot about business. Yeah but it's a much bigger opportunity mm-hmm. to the same level. If you're that janitor, you could say, wow, all of these cleaning supplies are toxic in this school yeah. and maybe you're damaging the kids and the staff and yeah. maybe we could make all of this better. Yeah. And then you make this entirely new line mm-hmm. of products. Right. 
And then you're like, wow, okay. So that every school is now much, a, a much safer and cleaner place. Yeah. That's an even bigger opportunity. Mm-hmm. That same janitor could say, you know, my job's pretty easy and I know how to systemize the cleaning of the floors. And I have a friend that's in robotics that maybe we could build something that would clean these floors yeah. even better than any janitor would. And we could put these non-toxic substances into it mm-hmm. to do a better job and keep it safer and cleaner. And then no mops necessary. Yeah. That's an even bigger opportunity that then goes into the corporate world and, and it's going to expand quite quickly. Yeah. You could take investment. This is a you're solving the problem of needing to even have a janitor to show up in the first place. Right. And a lot of other problems in addition to that. Yeah. Right. So it's levels of thinking, mm-hmm. right, is the thing that we're talking about and yeah. asking yourself, what are the problems that I'm solving mm-hmm. or what are the things I'm amplifying in the world? Yeah. And how can I make those things more and more valuable? So mm-hmm. I'll give a personal example to make it super clear for people. Yeah. Six years ago was the last time I took a one on one client, mm-hmm. a paid one on one client. Yeah. And at that time, I was beginning to charge such enormous fees to really prohibit taking one-on-one clients Yeah, because I just, didn't it was taking to. a lot out of me Yeah, and I didn't have a good business model to make it sustainable Sure, and people didn't understand the potential of yeah. what I could really help them with Yeah, and I didn't know how to communicate that either and mm-hmm. set that context, nor did I have what I believed at the time was the network yeah. to provide that. So what I did was... I was able to heal people's injuries. Mm -hmm. And my philosophy was, if you don't get 50% or greater resolution of the problem within 20 minutes, you don't pay and I'm going to leave. Yeah. Cool. That's a huge offer in that industry. Oh, yeah. If within 20 minutes, it's not 50% or better, don't pay me and I'm going to leave. Yeah. That's unheard of. Yeah. Is, you know, I think most people would say like the physics of that are impossible. Sure in that industry, in this physical therapy world. Yeah. And I ran that model for quite some time actually, mm. and, and people loved it. Yeah. But even with that, I didn't a have the balls to charge more uh-huh. and, and be all those other things, right. Yeah, to yeah. make that more scalable. And yeah. I didn't know what I would need to do. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until this weekend where I, for the last six years have sort of been doing the greatest showman thing uh-huh. where he wanted to go fancy yeah. and went with this woman, toured all around the country, bigger ticket prices, suits and ties, whatever. Yeah. I built all these other things in the meantime that yeah. have generated more income. But, you know, most of them are just I'm um, incremental improvements on problems that solutions that people have already created. Yeah. Where that original thing is there's no one else that can do that. Yeah. I don't I don't know anyone to recommend you to. It's it's a problem that no one else is solving at all, right? Especially in scale. Mm -hmm. And because of all these experiences that I've had in these last six years, building these other things, building that network, the skill sets, the tools, the strategies, Mm -hmm. this weekend it became very clear of how that could become an extremely sustainable and massively scalable scalable and successful thing that Mm -hmm. radically shifts the entirety of humanity. So it's literally saying... What I was able to offer people before, I can now offer to an innumerable amount of t- people at one time. Yeah. Not online, but in person. Yeah. Up to 25,000 people in a space at once. Amazing. And could be done one on one, but the context would be set completely differently. Sure. And similar to maybe like a second summit program. Yeah. The expectation of coming to see me is mm-hmm. going to be so much greater. Yeah. So much higher. 
and my own personal expectation on what that person will be able to accomplish in mm-hmm. life is no longer about the injury at all. Yeah. Really the injury is doesn't matter at all. Yeah. What it is is amplifying and electrifying their system to such a point that the body and energy levels will never be the thing that ever holds them back ever again. As a matter of fact, it will propel them extensively into their future and it will be the greatest asset that they have. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That's a completely different problem. Very much so. It's how can your body be the most badass tool that you have to accomplish anything that you want? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Great. So that's a very clear example of my journey of saying what was solving your injury worth Mm -hmm. versus that second statement. Yeah. You know? Yeah. What's the value prop there? Yeah. Huge. Yeah. Completely different thing. Mm -hmm. And when you do it in scale, so positive for the world. Oh, yeah. Incredibly positive. For sure. There are things that are capable with what we're going to do here that would not have happened otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. Well, solving higher level problems requires more energy. Plain and simple. Mm -hmm. High performers, how many of the people that you work with, the body is actually the thing that ends up holding them back. They run out of energy. They get severe autoimmune problems because they're just running so hard and they're so competent and so capable. Mm -hmm. I don't know a single one that doesn't run into adrenal fatigue or failure or Mm -hmm. some sort of issue that the body actually ends up being the limiting factor. Yeah. Well, let's take it a step further. Let's, let's imagine that they have a, a, a more elevated level of consciousness where they're not burning themselves out and and running themselves into the ground let's say that they have gone out of their way to to improve or optimize their energy and their performance okay cool based on what you're saying it sounds like there's an entirely different echelon that they can go to yes so what's a five percent increase for someone who's already at a hundred percent right you take somebody like Roger Federer, who's mm. arguably the greatest tennis player of all time. What's a 5% increase worth to a guy like that? You probably can't even calculate it. You know, Tiger Woods, I think at his peak, paid his coach over a million bucks a year. What is his coach going to teach him about golf? I mean, he's Tiger Woods. Yet, that just that little bit of perspective of that his coach can see over his shoulder and see the things that Tiger can't see is worth significantly more than a million, right? So to people who are, there's like two levels, you know, there's like the level of entrepreneur who's burnt out. They don't understand sustainability. They're just hard charging typical entrepreneurs. That is obviously crazy valuable to them. But then you've got the the high performers that really are high performers. They understand peak performance. They understand energy, um, you know, utilization and diet and exercise and mindset. They 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 have a lot of the more advanced stuff under wraps, and yet they know there's still another gear, you know. But to your point, there's not a lot of people that know how to get them there, and that links back to something that I was going to make a point about, which is. The further you go up in your ability to solve problems, the higher you go up in your capacity to solve 
more complex and more meaningful problems, the, the more rare you become. Because there's, f- how many people on the earth can do what Elon can do? Practically no one. That's why he's Elon. How many people, what, what's your favorite musician? Millennium. Who can do what they can do? No one. Right. That's why they are who they are. And so as you push yourself to higher levels, you also become more in demand. And um, Now in your experience of working with exclusively these people, mm-hmm. these probably one of ones or very few in their categories, mm-hmm. right? Uh, the, statistically, it's about 3,000 people globally. Wow. Yeah. So in your and, experience. And that's, that's that, yeah, that's, pro- that's probably not even accurate in regards to the actual type of person that would partner with me because there's a, there's a number of other factors that go into it as well. Yeah. So that number is significantly lower. Yeah. Yeah. So two questions on that and we'll mm-hmm. start with the first one. Yeah. I'll, I'll state both just so we don't lose that. The first one is why, what's the secret sauce that puts someone in that one of 3000? And then what's the secret sauce of these extraordinary coaches, whether it's the golf coach looking over Tiger's shoulder or someone like you that puts them in that place to be that 5%, 10% exponential boost mm-hmm. for these people? Yeah. Um, the first question is what puts them in that category? Those one of 3,000, what is the, what do you think are the components or the variables? Yeah. So I'm, I'm thinking for people listening here, there's, there's a type of person that's going to say, I'm a high achiever, mm-hmm. high performer, and my goal is to be the highest performer in the world yeah. of whatever their thing is. Yeah. Right? Whether it's painting, whether it's basketball, whether it's business of some kind sure. uh, or whether it's even being a parent yeah. just being the like the best yeah right yeah and then there's another type of person that's going to say you know i'm not that I'm not yeah. a high performer not a high achiever mm. and i think hearing this list will number one of course inspire those people that want to be the best mm-hmm. and i hope as we break this down and simplify it that the people that maybe don't resonate with that yeah will actually be inspired because everyone's capable of course of of growth more, yeah. of more mm-hmm. right and and not even to say more but just different yeah right just a, a higher level of service to humanity mm-hmm. or to themselves or their mm-hmm. family right mm-hmm. so what what are the what are the component pieces well i would say the first the the first is a belief that you can and i know that sounds so kind of cliche and, and after school special but it's really true um all cliches are true <laughs> they, they are the high the, the highest achievers that I know, they all start with just an absolute crazy belief in themselves, but also in what's possible. Now, the way that you phrase that is they all start with that. Yeah. Do they all start with that or build that belief? Uh, I would say they start with it. They, they, they obviously build. They're delusional. They, yeah, they're delusional. They yes. build on it over time. Mm-hmm. Um, because one great success leads to another, leads to another. So when you did that first coaching session uh-huh. with this guy in New York City, yeah. w- was it top of mind for you that you were going to be the best coach in the world? It was, it was certainly in my consciousness because 
I understood that if I could help this guy, then I, if I could help this guy to the degree that I helped him, and I helped him a, a, a significant amount in that one month, then, and that was me like not having really much of a clue of what to do, how to do it, then eventually I could be one of the best. That was clear to me. Yeah. Beautiful. Okay, so they all begin with So they all start with just an absolute delusion of, of what's possible for themselves and just in general. Number one. Number two is um, along with that belief, almost immediately comes an obsession, which is like, and that word can be a little taboo. And, and if you look at the people that achieve at the highest levels, they are obsessed. Some people would say to their detriment, that's arguable depending on how you want to look at it. Uh, but obsession is absolutely critical. And um, the, th the third piece is to reach that level of success, you have to be able to do two things simultaneously. You have to be able to communicate effectively because a vision that is that big, that, that would solve a problem that's big enough to generate that amount of wealth requires a lot of people to pull it off. SpaceX, for example, that's a big company. It, it requires a lot of people to make it a reality. As brilliant as Elon is, he's smart enough to know that he can't do it by himself. So in order to get people on board with what you're doing, you must be able to communicate that to people. Yes. Investors, you have to be able to get investors on board. You have to be able to get top talent on board. Top talent. And when I say top talent, I mean the top, meaning they're intelligent people and they're not, they're not, they've been around. So they've heard all the marketing speeches. They've heard all they've the heard pitches. All the they've seen it all. They've been pitched by some of the best of the best. So who are you and what can you offer me? Elon is such a genius that he's like, I can't offer you anything other than a dream. But he's so good at articulating that dream and, and now is such a proven track record. That's right. Can we can we back up and mm -hmm. talk about obsession? Yeah. So that was point number two. Mm -hmm. And I think to clarify and, and to make that very clear. Yeah. When we say obsession, mm -hmm. I am obsessed with so many things. Yeah. I'm an obsessive person. Yeah. When I say that word, it might mean something different mm -hmm. than what you mean or what, what the audience hears with that word. Mm -hmm. When I hear that word, I think I am so deeply interested yeah. in the vision or the activity or the outcome mm -hmm. or even the process of a thing mm -hmm. that it's hard for me to think about anything else. Yeah. Right. Because I'm so inspired by yeah. it or so driven by it yeah. or something. Right. So mm -hmm. I think it would be completely reasonable for someone to hear the word obsession and think it's yeah. unhealthy. Sure. And what I would encourage people to think about, and I'd love to hear if you have any extra thoughts on this, yeah. which is 
it's about playing in life Mm -hmm. until you find a thing and not everyone needs to be like this, but until you find a thing that you're so compelled by Mm -hmm. that you would lovingly and gladly sacrifice sleep to do it. And, you know, sacrifice maybe cooking a meal for an hour Mm -hmm. and maybe getting something delivered to save that time so that you could continue to think about and Mm -hmm. ponder and be excited about the thing that you're building. Yeah. And that's what I would consider a healthy level of that word. I would agree. Um, I think the easiest way for people to wrap their head around it in a healthy way is to associate the word obsession with love. Mm. Yes. Because imagine if you were, if you wanted to love your family better. Imagine if you wanted to love your spouse better. You would be obsessed. So passion mm. and and love. Yes, I'm obsessed with cute small dogs, like like Frankie. Like Frankie, yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Obsessed. Yeah. <laughs> because you love him. Mm. Um, it's love, and love knows no boundaries. Love. It does not make sense. If you've ever been in love, you know that that is not a logical experience by any stretch of the imagination. And you will be, do, have, give beyond anything you ever have when you are in love. And it would be really hard to define healthy and unhealthy love-based obsession, right? Because Mm -hmm. that's up to each person to define for themselves. And so I find I've worked with so many and been friends with so many extremely high achievers Yeah. that when I see their quirky obsessiveness mm-hmm. over their thing yeah. and, and these people, they're not just obsessed about their work. They tend to be obsessed about most things in their life. Like yeah. they're very selective. Yeah. They like for me, right. You haven't been to my house, but mm-hmm. when you do almost everything I own, there's a certain level of obsession with, yeah, because I, I'm, I've done so much research. Yeah. You know, each part of this recording setup right now, uh-huh. I could talk for at least an hour about each of these components. Yeah. 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 Because, because not only are you obsessed about it, but you love it. Mm. You love it. And there's a, there's a, we'll use a relationship as a metaphor for a vision. Okay. When you're in love, you have a vision of what life can be like with somebody. You have this grand vision. Greatest Showman is a perfect example. They had, he had a vision for what their life could be like. It was not that in the beginning. Little ratty apartment holes in the ceiling, but he saw something better. He was obsessed with that vision because he loved what that would mean, what that would be for himself, for the girls, right? And he wanted to give them that. He also knew that it was going to be a journey. And he fell in love with the process of getting there. He knew there were going to be things that didn't pan out the way that he wanted them to. That's what happens when you have a big vision. Inevitably, when I work with new clients, sometimes... They forget 
and they'll say like, oh, you know, this, this, we're going to do this big project together, but what if it doesn't work? And rather than trying to coach them into positive thinking and saying, well, why don't we reframe that and say, well, what if it does? Which is a good thing to say. But in that moment, what's better to say is, it won't. I guarantee you, you'll fail. Guarantee it. Because when you endeavor to do things that have never been done before, there's clearly no blueprint for that. The light bulb didn't exist. How many iterations did it take to create it? 10,000. The rocket that goes up into space and then comes back down and lands itself. How many iterations did that take? Too many. In, in, the, in the world of rockets, how many can you afford to blow up? None. How many did Elon blow up? More than four. Right? It's guaranteed. But Elon knew that that was inevitable. Not probable, inevitable. So when it happened, he was like, yep, okay, it sucks. And back to the drawing board, you know? He fell in love with the process. He fell in love with the process. So you fall in love with the outcome and you fall in love with the, the process. And you set the expectation, yeah. as you're saying. And this is a huge point to make, yeah. which is you could have had that session mm -hmm. with that guy in New York City, yeah. had that month with him at the $100 a rate, right? Yeah. And you could have been very happy with that and stayed with that forever. Mm -hmm. And you could be doing it right now still. Sure. And because, and I'd love for you to reflect on this after I make this statement, mm -hmm. I'm going to put words in your mouth right now, mm -hmm. just to give an example. Yeah. I'd love to hear what the truth is. But because maybe you decided that this life is a game and that you for sure you're going to die. And if you never planted your flag somewhere huge, no one else was going to plant that flag for you yeah. and life wasn't going to do it exactly for you. Mm -hmm. It might hint at it. It might lead you in that direction. There might be people that try to push you towards it Yeah, and you can choose courage or you can choose the same. I'm not going to say fear. Yeah. And then you also could choose fear. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And for whatever reason, the circumstances as they were, you chose courage mm -hmm. and you've continued to and yeah. continued to plant that flag higher and higher on this mountain. Yeah. And at any point on that mountain, you can always camp out. Right. You can go back down if the altitude's too high, sure. whatever it is for you, right? Yeah. And that's a huge idea, I think. For people mm -hmm. and that could be in any context it doesn't have to be business right no it could be the family it could be your friend circle yeah it could be your living situation yeah your health well the thing is this if you are committed to constant and never-ending improvement as i've been and that could sound unhealthy to some people with the wrong context sure but with the context of this is play yeah and this is the epitome this is the example this is the art piece that mm -hmm. you're choosing to make your life yeah that you're just saying with as much fun and as much fuck it allness yeah. as possible yeah let's just continue to play at higher levels to right. see where it feels the most comfortable sure well you know alan watts once said uh imagine that you could dream any dream what would you 
what would you imagine? What would you dream? You know, you, you would imagine a life where you could do anything, where you could be anything. And eventually, if you did that for long enough, you'd get bored. And you would inevitably blend in some challenges and some setbacks, maybe even some enemies. Uh, and you'd get bored of that after a while as well. And he said, eventually, in, in the infinite possibilities of options, being an, an absolute creator of your reality, you would eventually create the life that you have now as a way to experience something different. I simply remind myself that that's me, just as it is everyone else. And so, to a large degree, it is a game. It's simply a game of how big of a dream can I have? Can I allow myself to get behind? And for me, it's just been this never-ending process. Now, what's cool is Einstein said you cannot solve your problems with the same level of thinking that created them. When you reach new heights in your self, in your consciousness, you have new vantage points. And those new vantage points allow you to see things differently. So at every step of the way or every new flag marker up, uh, upon the, the ascent, I've been able to see new and better challenges that need solving that no one else is working on, that give me the opportunity to choose to be that person. And so that is so much of the game. And, and again, that, it's all a metaphor. It's like you could, you could, if you were completely happy with your nine to five and never aspired to career-wise anything different, but you wanted to be a better father, you could spend the rest of your life in love with that idea. And the better you got at it, the better you would get at finding ways of being better at it. And it would just become an obsession. And the results of that, I think, is fair to say would be beautiful, you know? Um, so there's so many ways that it connects and, and plays, but it really comes down to the, the human condition of expansion. Jim Carrey said, depression is your avatar's way of telling you it's tired of being the character that you've been. And if you look at the world at large, there's a lot of people that aren't happy. 80, over 80% 80 of the global workforce not happy. Well, who put them there? Who forced them to do it? Most, I mean, what's the, what's the divorce rate at this point? 55 or 60%? Why? Why? And so there's this great opportunity that's coming because as people begin to wake up, it, they become lights on a hill for other people to wake up. And truthfully, that's part of why I do what I do not only so that the world gets to benefit from me doing the thing, whatever that thing is, 
But the right people get to benefit from seeing me do it and going, wow. I didn't even think something like that was possible. I have this thing that I've kind of been holding on to that now I'm going to do. And that's what I call ROI or ripple of impact. And uh, that's the name of the game. Thank you.